Welcome to the Don't HR Alone podcast, your daily source for news and updates relevant to the HR profession. We bring you weekly interviews with HR leaders, CEOs, and small business owners, along with our daily updates. Each day, you can tune in for updates by following us on the social media of your choice. We post to LinkedIn, Twitter, and Facebook. You can also subscribe by going to don'thralone.com. And our show is on iTunes, Google Play, TuneIn, and Stitcher Radio, where you can subscribe as well. Ladies and gentlemen, my name is Rami Alijil, and welcome to Don't HR Alone number 51. Today, we're going to look into an EEOC suit on behalf of an employee denied relief from workplace smells, also known as stinky offices, and juggling return-to-work requirements. We'll go into a a pretty in-depth discussion on what all what all is entailed in putting return to work requirements out there and uh, how all that works with workers' comp and state disability laws. So first up, that stinks. EEOC sues on behalf of employee denied relief from workplace spells. This is by Ellison F. McCoy on July 13th. So it's a little bit dated, but uh, about about a month old. But I wanted to bring it up just to, to clarify a few things. We have a few clients who've asked about this recently. So on July 12, 2017, the EEOC filed suit in the Middle District of North Carolina, alleging that an employee employer violated the American with Disabilities Act by refusing a request to telecommute from an employee with a sensitivity to workplace smells. In a lawsuit filed against Advanced Home Care, Inc., a home health care company, the EEOC claims that the employee asked her supervisor on three separate occasions if she could work from home to avoid exposure to the frequencies and odors she encountered in the workplace, since those scents aggravated her asthma and COPD. However, the employee supervisor allegedly ignored the requests to telecommute, even though the employee worked as a case manager for patients requiring home services and could have performed her essential duties at home. The EEOC asserts that the employer's rejection of the request to telecommute without first conducting an individualized assessment of the requested accommodation was a violation of the ADA. The filing of this lawsuit should serve as a reminder on two fronts for employers. First, an employee's claim that he or she is allergic to certain scents or substances in the workplace should not be dismissed offhand. Frequently, the employee's sensitivities to such scents or substances is related to an underlying respiratory condition, such as asthma, COPD, or allergic rhinitis. Such conditions often constitute a disability under the ADA, since they are typically impact the major, uh, a major life activity of breathing, right? Second, once an employee requests to telecommute as an accommodation for a disability, that request should never be ignored. Doesn't mean you have to grant it, but in the in EEOC versus Ford Motor Company, the seminal decision regarding telecommuting as an accommodation, the Sixth Court of Appeals recognized that both employers and employees must engage in a good faith, quote, interactive process to determine if the requested accommodation is reasonable or if it creates undue hardship on the employer. If the employer ignores the request to telecommute and thus fails to engage in the required interactive process, it runs a significant risk of liability for failure to accommodate. On the other hand, the employer who rejects the request to telecommute after engaging in a good faith interactive process with the employee will be in a much more defensible position should litigation result. Please do that. Ladies and gentlemen, if you don't have an interactive process that you can uh, work through with an employee on how to determine ADA requests, let us know. I'll be happy to provide you kind of an outline and a guide on how to do it. 
Next up, uh, this is the more fun. This is juggling return to work requirements. Employers are challenged to comply with complex and varied laws um, and regulations related to employees who have been on leave due to their own illness or injury and then return to work. The extent of an employer's compliance requirements varies based on several factors, including whether the employee's injuries or illness occurred on or off the job, whether the employee has or is regarded as having a disability, and whether the employee can perform the essential functions of the job upon return. To complicate matters, more than one law may apply in a given situation. The three commonly implicated laws are the Family and Medical Leave Act, FMLA, the Americans with Disabilities Act, and then whatever that state's worker compensation laws are. So let's talk about FMLA first. Under the FMLA, an employer may have a uniformly applied policy or practice that requires similarly situated employees to obtain certifications from a healthcare provider that they can return to work from FMLA leave. Those are called fitness for duty certifications. If an employer chooses to obtain a fitness for duty certification, the certification must be limited to the serious health condition for which the employee was on leave. This is normally related to pregnancy, by the way. Employers may use fitness for duty certifications to determine whether the employee can meet the essential functions of the job. However, to do this, the employer must preserve its right to request certification that the employee can meet these job requirements in either the FMLA designation notice or another document detailing the job functions provided prior to the FMLA designation notice. Most employers choose to include the certification... They choose to include certification that the employee can meet the essential functions of the job in the FMLA designation notice. Additionally, if the employer wants the certification to address the employee's ability to meet these job functions upon return, the FMLA designation notice or other document provided prior to the designation notice must also state that the employee will be required to provide a fitness for duty certification that confirms the employee's ability to perform the essential functions before returning for work. The employee's health care provider would assess the employee's uh, ability to perform these tasks um, and, and their ability to, to, uh, to, to come back to the job, and they will make a fitness for duty <clears throat> recommendation. The employer is bound by the health care provider certification and cannot ask the employee to obtain a second or third opinion. The employer can contact the employee's health care provider only to clarify or authenticate the fitness for duty certification, but cannot delay the employee's return to work while waiting for clarification. If the employee meets the notification requirements for a fitness for duty certification and the employer and the employee does not obtain or provide the certification to the employer, the employer can deny the employee's return to work until it is obtained and provided. If the employer refuses to provide the certification and does not request additional FMLA leave, the employee is no longer entitled to reinstatement under the FMLA. So, <clears throat> different requirements, by the way, apply for intermittent or record or reduced schedule FMLA leave. Employers should look at those too. But that this is about uh, they've left and now they're trying to return to work. So if you put a requirement that the um, um, employee have their doctor provide a fitness um, uh, statement that they can return to work um, th- so that they can come back from FMLA, which we recommend you do, that gives you a leg to stand on that their doctor said they could do the job when they came back and can keep you from getting in trouble with an, with an ADA and some other claims. Um, and if they don't provide it, then they're not necessarily entitled to their job back. So that's a good a good step. 
Now we're going to talk about the ADA. Under the ADA, employers may request medical exams and information for existing employees in very limited circumstances related to the employee's job and consistent with business needs. The stipulation applies for employees currently working and for those returning to work after an illness or injury. If an employer believes, based on objective evidence and observation, that a current employee's essential job function is impaired by a medical condition or that the employee poses a direct threat to self or others due to a medical condition, the employer can make a disability-related inquiries or require a medical examination. This situation would typically occur when an employer has observed performance or safety issues. If an employee is injured and returning to work and the employer believes that the employee's present ability to perform essential job duties could be impaired by a medical condition or that the employee poses a direct threat to self or others due to a medical condition, the employer may make disability-related inquiries or require the employee to complete a medical exam. The examination or inquiry must be limited to an assessment of the employee's ability to work and related to the specific medical condition for which the employee took leave. The employer cannot require unrelated medical examinations or inquiries. So, that's your ADA side of things. It's got to be about safety of, of self or others uh, or, or a threat, right? So, okay. Finally, state workers' comp laws. Although workers' compensation laws and regulations vary from state to state, many employers create return-to-work programs for workers' compensation illnesses and injuries. These are huge. A return-to-work program benefits both employers and employees as it provides options that allow employees to get back to work. Generally, if a treating physician releases an employee on workers' compensation to work temporarily in a modified or light-duty assignment until they are fully recovered, the employer may assign the employee light work or different work hours. The position must fit the physical limitations imposed by the doctor and be within workers' abilities. Employees concurrently on the F- on FMLA leave are not obligated to accept the light duty assignments and may remain on FMLA leave. Employees may still be able to decline light duty assignments even if they're not on FMLA leave. However, continuous refusal may eventually preclude the employee from collecting workers' compensation benefits unless a judge rules that the employee's refusal is justified. An employer should continue to re- offer the light duty assignment in such cases. Creating a return to work program may also obligate an employer to reassign employees without compensable injuries to light duty assignments under the ADA or applicable state laws. Accordingly, it's important for an employer to know which state and local leave laws apply to their locations. So I'm not going to cover all the different ones, but Tennessee, Mississippi, Arkansas, they're all very different on, on what you can do and what you can't. Um, and, and it, whether it applies to employees who are located in that state or if you're headquartered in Tennessee and have employees in other states, is it Tennessee and the others? You've got to investigate that stuff. If you have any specific questions, feel free to email us. We can be happy to research it for you. But you need to uh, take a close look at these return to work requirements for state workers comp. So wrapping it up, understanding the various applicable state and federal laws for obtaining medical certification for an employee to return to work can be very complex. Employers should consult with counsel to ensure they have uniform policies and adequate notices in place and are properly documenting their practices and are consistently applying their return to work rules fairly for returning employees.
Ladies and gentlemen, this is Rami Alijil, and thank you for listening to Don't HR Alone number 51. We bring you daily news and updates via the social media of your choice, Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn. We would love to hear from you. Also, subscribe to us on uh, Google Play, uh, iTunes Radio, Stitcher, TuneIn, all the different ones. You can subscribe, take a listen every day. Great uh, driving. Uh, we've, we've had a lot of people say they, they listen to it on their drive uh, home from work every day. If you have any questions for us, email us. Ladies and gentlemen, go out there, have a wonderful day, and get your work.